Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm excited to introduce to you today, Chris Marchitelli. I presume that's how you say it. I, I just had a stab at it there. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced it right. So, Chris, if you want to do a bit of a better introduction to yourself and tell us who you are and where you're from. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's some people say Marcatelli. I guess that's the proper way to say it in Italian. Uh, but yeah, my name is Chris Marchitelli. I am a health and wellness coach uh, located in Syracuse, New York. Uh, and I help people, you know, really kind of use uh, ancestral principles to, you know, better their life. And uh, have you brought that on upon yourself? Do you, do you bring that into your own daily sort of life now then, or do you just teach people? I live it and breathe it now. Uh, and I have been for probably the last three or four years. Uh, ever since I decided to change my own health and wellness, um, you know, I, we can get a little bit more into kind of how I started, but, you know, I started in a very different place, you know, much more plant-based and, uh, after, you know, having so many years of experimentation and, and trying different things, uh, I had found that I've landed upon something that's super sustainable for me, but also makes me feel really good. That's great. Let's talk, let's talk about your journey. I'm sure people will be interested in that, especially drawn, that's drawn me in right there about you saying that you had a dabble with the plant base because I know lots of people, especially when they drop off mm -hmm. the sad, you know, the sad SAD, the sad American diet, standard American diet, which is very similar to the standard yeah. British diet. When they drop off yeah. that, a lot of people straight away go to plant based So tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. your journey. What happened there? Yeah. So, I mean, I was raised on, I don't like to say the standard American diet. I like to say the standard Italian American diet, which is not an Italian diet, <laughs> which is not even an American diet. It's like what you expect when you go to an Italian restaurant in America, right? It is, everything is carbohydrates for the most part. The base of the dish is the pasta, is the pizza, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, we grew up very Italian American. We had pizza on the table a couple of times a week. Uh, we had pasta all the time. We had bread on the table every single day, you know, and I would eat through that stuff like crazy. I had the nickname Macaroni Boy when I was a kid. And so that persisted. I mean, we, we ate meat too when I was younger. My family didn't have a problem with that, but we had always considered ourselves really healthy because we ate like an apple for lunch. And a lot of my friends were eating chips, you know, they were eating, tr you know, truly junk food. And I had like one piece of fruit and thought I was being healthy. So I went to college you know, thinking not really much of my health. I, I was pretty thin. I'd always been thin and short. And uh, towards the end of school, I had decided to uh, go vegetarian. So I was, you know, kind of so taken into uh, all of the uh, environmental aspects of a plant-based diet. Uh, I felt like I was doing something kind for the animals. And so I slowly just took the meat out of my diet over the course of maybe like two weeks. Uh, and from there, I was a vegetarian for about two years. And all of the kind of health issues that I was starting to develop, I, I was having restless leg syndrome. I was already pretty thin. Uh, I had pretty bad acne. I was tired a lot. Uh, all of those issues just got worse and worse and worse you know, to the point where I wasn't sleeping at all at night. I was total insomniac. Um, couldn't nap during the day because I was like tired, but wired. Uh, I just felt like my body was falling apart. Uh, and so eventually when I had, you know, 
gotten out of, I was in AmeriCorps at the time, which is like a national service program here in the United States. Uh, and I, I was a committed vegetarian through that program. <clears throat> I'd gotten back home and I just, I looked in the mirror and I was like, my body is, I'm falling apart. Uh, I, I need to be doing something else. And that's when I looked into paleo. I, I had known that, you know, my standard Italian American diet was not going to be <laughs> working. Uh, I knew that being a vegetarian and being a vegan uh, really wasn't helping me. So it was time to reintroduce animal products. And I, it was a total 180 from how I was feeling before. I, you know, I felt so much more awake, so much more vibrant, uh, just introducing salmon and beef back into my diet. Uh, but I also removed grains um, besides, you know, some white rice that I ended up keeping in my diet. Uh, and these like lifelong debilitating seasonal allergies that I had my entire life. I mean, I had Benadryl, allergy shots, the whole gamut. I mean, I put the Flonase up my nose. I, I did the whole thing with allergies uh, for my entire life. And I was so mad. Like I was really happy, but I was also really pissed off because it, it would have only taken, you know, a couple of days with a healthcare professional saying, just stop eating grains and then your seasonal allergies might go away. And not a single person had ever told me that. No, that's great. You had to go out there and you had to find it out yourself, basically, and, and experiment with what was going on. So originally, when you was uh, in the vegetarian era of, of your, your life, was that because you thought then at that point it was potentially more healthy to be a vegetarian and you wasn't yet educated to how you are now? Or was you just doing it simply because the, the more the ethics of it? It was definitely the ethics. You know, when I went to school, um, a lot of my friends were vegetarian or vegan. Uh, and it kind of more and more people were going down that road. We were watching the documentaries. I think we'd even watched, you know, one of those more vegan aligned documentaries in one of the classes that I was in. Uh, you know, in my school, like a lot of schools, you know, especially nowadays are, are quite, um, you know, activist oriented. And part of that activism is environmental activism. So I found that that was really aligned. Um, but I think, you know, even, e even in the back of my mind was that, oh, I'm gonna be healthier because you're told from the jump when you're younger to eat your fruits and vegetables and that is the healthiest way to be. Yeah, and um, we know a little bit different now. So when you started to get the ball rolling from that vegetarianism that you was in then, and you started to maybe, like you say, take out the grains and introduce more of your diet being more animal based then what what sort of things did you notice other, other than the fact that your allergies and things clear up did you feel like you had more energy or anything like that i did you know because when i was a vegetarian i i remember you know we, we lived we didn't live but we uh worked kind of out of this big van uh, when I was in AmeriCorps and we would travel in that thing, you know, all the time. And I remember I would sit in the back of this van and I would try to close my eyes to nap and my mind would just be racing, you know, like I was always, and I wouldn't sleep at night. So I was definitely exhausted. And one of the things that I noticed when the animal products came back in is that I just didn't have that. I was so much more calm. I was so much more energetic over the course of the day. And of course, you know, at this point I was paleo. So I was still eating, um, you know, a decent number of fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds uh, and actually 
probably too much white rice from <laughs> the beginning. I kind of exploited that loophole. <laughs> yeah, so you carried on going down the paleo route. And what, what, why did you think maybe even when you got to paleo, why did you think maybe this is not enough for me? I'm going to push it even further and try carnivore. Yeah, so the I was paleo probably for three or four years. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it was so sustainable, so easy for me. But my one fatal flaw was that I ate like three cups of white rice a day. Like I was still a carb addict and I was trying to find a way to keep those carbs in my diet kind of at all costs. And so I had known over the course of those years, just doing my research that I probably had hypothyroidism. And I knew that for some people, you know, paleo really helped their hypothyroidism. But for me, I could still see that something was wrong. I was still having a lot of the symptoms of hypothyroid. I was still cold. I was still very thin, uh, my hands and feet, all of that. And so I went to a functional medicine doctor because I had realized, well, I, I probably need to get on some medication and they're probably not going to find it at a conventional practitioner. Uh, and that ended up being the case. My conventional practitioner just let me walk out uh, without diagnosing hypothyroidism. And I had to go to a functional medicine doctor who uh, did ultimately diagnose me. And from there, uh, he'd actually told me through you know, some of my blood work that my blood sugar, my glucose was too high. And this was another thing that was totally missed you know, by my conventional practitioner. I mean, not to mention all of the nutritional deficiencies that I would ultimately have. Um, but that was, that was something that they don't even flag uh, until it gets to kind of a pre-diabetic number. But I wasn't a pre-diabetic number, but I still had high blood sugar. And so my doctor had recommended that I go down to about 40, I think it was 40 to 70 grams of carbohydrates, which was a nightmare for me at first. I just... I didn't know how to do that. I was like, what am I going to make if everything doesn't have white rice in it? You know, like <laughs> I had based that around everything at that point. And so at that point, you know, I started experimenting with different kind of forms of low carb. So I was getting, you know, probably 50 to like 70 grams at first. And then I was like, huh, I wonder if I could take this even further. And so I went down the rabbit hole of diets and I had come across a carnivore diet. And at the time, you know, we we're kind of looking for something for my mom who had lost her vision uh, back in 2018. And we had come across this Reddit post and it had said like this, uh, it was from this son and his mother had gone on a carnivore diet, ate all of these egg yolks and her vision started to come back. And of course she had a different thing than my mom did, but my, we, so we decide to go on a carnivore diet. We're going to just eat a, you know, a totally animal-based diet. And, and your mom was totally on board with that, was she? You just uh, got to go in straight away. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, my mom has always been kind of the, the family health nut. Um, you know, she was into the organic food first. She was into the salads first. She was into the essential oils first. And everybody called her crazy until they started doing the same things, <laughs> you know, that she did ultimately. And so, you know, she was definitely um, a little bit hesitant. I, I remember I went on, it was called Meet RX at the time. I think now it's called uh, Rivero, but 
we, I remember going on Meet RX and I was like reading out the testimonials to her, like trying to convince her <laughs> to do this. And she didn't need a ton of convincing. She really didn't. And uh, the great thing was too, is I prepared most of the food at the time, um, pretty much all of our meals. So she was kind of forced to eat the same way that I did. And within weeks, it was it was drastic, the changes. Um, her vision had gone from being a total blur uh, to seeing the streetlights. You know, she screamed one day because she could, you know, I stopped and she could see the, you know, the stoplight uh, for the first time in like two years. Wow. Uh, I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor was so confused. He didn't understand what was going on because my vision had gotten so much better. Um, you know, I, I just noticed an uptick in my energy and my sleep and my skin, um, you know, especially keeping a lot of a lot of the plants out, my skin had improved so much. So, you know, I was just noticing uh, a lot of really crazy things that I didn't really know were possible before I had gone on that diet. And were these things like quite quick then? Did they sort of strike you within days of changing anything within your nutrition? Because Sometimes I know it can take people, depending on where you're coming from, uh, longer than that. And people don't often give it time to settle down or to settle in. But some people, yeah. maybe like yourself, it does happen quite quickly. Although I'm yeah. not going to say to everybody, it'll happen to you within a couple of days, because no, it doesn't always. You know, if you are trying something new, I would always say to somebody, give it a couple of weeks. You know, but, but how fast was it with you? With the vision changes, it was definitely a couple of weeks. <clears throat> we started noticing, uh, and, and that was probably because we were just going into ketosis. You know, we we're starting to dive into, um, you know, becoming fat burning, becoming keto burning. Uh, and so we had, uh, we started noticing benefits really quickly. It did take our bodies some time to catch up. And that's what, you know, I, I tell people is that especially if you've never been used to, you know, a higher fat paradigm, it can take a while for the body to catch up to stop using the carbohydrates and to start using the fat as fuel. Uh, and it definitely, it, I had never been on a high fat diet my entire life. It was always based in carbohydrates. So I had, I had a bit of a transition that I was going to for a couple of months. Yeah, I think it's important to say that transition period because lots of people that I work with and maybe you work with very similar come to you and don't expect that transition period. They expect you just to be able to change straight away from one to the other. But that transition yeah. period is so important. That's where all you, you're laying down all the fundamentals that you need to take with you for, for the rest of your life. You know, so make yeah. sure you get it right in those first initial weeks. What I particularly do in my practice is I do a reset plan where I try and spend four weeks, uh, minimal four weeks. Sometimes it goes up to 10, 12 weeks, but minimal four weeks with people just to lay down all the foundations for people and tell them, look, this is quite a strict plan to start off with. And you may experience uh, totally different body changes, but if you stick with it, then that's where it goes. And I think that transition period there is quite important to, to keep bringing up and to keep saying to people because a lot of podcasts and a lot of information that you read tell you how good it is on the other side, but they don't actually tell you about that, that period that you, that you need to focus on. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about working with a coach, you know, particularly working with somebody who's been through it before, uh, is that you can have that guidance. I, I would say, you know, 90% of people out there, you know, occasionally I come to people, people come to me and say, you know, I want to do a keto diet or I want to do a carnivore diet. But a lot of the time I work with people who are a total blank slate. They have absolutely no idea what's going on and, <laughs> with health at all. And for them, you know, 
we really have to start with the basics um, of what's going to happen. And one of the key things that I think I've picked up on, especially recently, is just the habits. You know, just choosing, you know, uh, a better food can be a big challenge for people. Yeah, I think it's all about the education because lots of people come to you and say, well, I don't eat a bad diet. My, my diet's perfectly fine. I think I eat quite healthily. And then when you actually get down to looking at it and, and realizing what they do, actually, you think, well, maybe you think it's healthy, but we're going to change yeah. that. We're going to uh, bring you over to something else. And bioavailability is something I talk about a lot with people because I, I really think that this point in particular is missed in lots of nutrition, lots of new nutrition articles is, is the bioavailability. And, and that's why all of us who have turned over to looking at animal produce are doing so. And it's because of the bioavailability. Can you tell us a little bit about what bioavailability is and why it's so important? Yeah, so what bioavailability means is it's your body's ability to absorb the nutrients in the food that you're eating. So if we're gonna take something like calcium, for example, right? There are different ways that you can get calcium. Um, you can get it through, let's say cow's milk, or you could get it through um, something like spinach, right? And for a lot of people, they might say, well, you know, spinach has the higher quantity of calcium. So therefore it's a great source of calcium uh, and therefore you should eat all of the spinach in the world. Uh, but what they tend to leave out and what's been really established in scientific literature for a very long time and basically ignored uh, is that we don't do a good job of actually converting that to what we can use in humans. Um, so that cow's milk is going to be absorbed at a much higher rate uh, that the spinach is. And that goes for, you know, just about anything. If we're looking at iron, uh, we're looking at heme iron from meat, uh, whereas we're looking at non-heme iron from plants. And heme iron is going to absorb much better than non-heme. Uh, Omega-3s versus ALA in, uh, you know, when we're looking to get a fish, for example, you're going to get a lot more, you know, readily available omega-3s from a fish than you are going to uh, from chia seeds. And this is well established, basically ignored um, to kind of push this narrative of fruits and vegetables on everybody. Yeah, I think you hit it there, the nail on the head there when you said it's readily available. What your body can do is you can take it straight away from the food and go into your digestive system and you can use it how it is in its original form. Whereas if you're getting it from plants or from different sources that your body is not, it's not matching up to, then you have to convert it into something else. I often use the example of vitamin A in carrots. People always think vitamin A, the carrots are full of vitamin A. Yes, yes. On, on paper, when you look at them under a telescope, right, yeah. yes, they are. They're full of it. But can your body use it? Well, some people can, some people can't. Most people can't because you have to convert it to retinol, which is the, the form of vitamin A that our human bodies can use. And that form is found more readily in red meat, in, in liver and organs and things like that. So let's get that straight. Let's let's go for the, where it's readily available and, and why, you know, why do we need, need to go for where it's not and give our body something extra to work with? Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah. And in that case too, you know, with a lot of plant foods and I'm, I'm certainly not anti-plant, you know, totally, I, you know, I don't put people on a carnivore diet exclusively, but you know, what I will say is you not only kind of have this issue of bioavailability in a lot of plant foods, but then you also get anti-nutrients 
in those foods as well. And a lot of the times that's why we can't absorb these foods as well. You know, if you're looking at something like wheat, we've got multiple forms of anti-nutrients that are blocking your absorption. I just talked about spinach. I mean, in spinach, you're getting a whole host of uh, anti-nutrients like oxalate that is going to completely block you from absorbing most of those nutrients. So, you know, a lot of people don't know that you're, you're really fighting an uphill battle with some of these plant foods, especially if you're making them the main source um, of your diet yeah let's face it um plants really a lot of plants don't want to be eaten and i think it was when i, I talked to uh, dr bill schindler and he said if you think about it you know that that's the only their defense mechanism is chemicals that's all plants have got to defend with some plants here have barbs and, and spikes and things like that to stop you getting to them but once you've got to them then all they've got then is chemicals to affect your body because plants basically are like any other species out there they want to reproduce. So they want their seed to be able to live long. So they have to put chemicals around it to stop anything being able to break it down. And that includes your digestive system and all your acids in your belly. Whereas animals, once you've caught them, their defense is to run away. But once you've caught them, there's nothing else. So that's a great way to think about it, especially for, for beginners or for, for anybody thinking why animal foods over, over plant foods. And I'm very similar to you. I don't say, look, get all the plant foods out of your nutrition. That's not something that I, I say. I say concentrate on the real foods and real foods yeah. do include plant foods. But what I would mm -hmm. say is in order to make sure that you get all your vitamins and you get all your minerals is to lean heavily over onto the animal produce. And then it's yeah. less likely that the plants and the, the fruits and the things that you're eating are mm -hmm. blocking so much of the, the nutrition that, you, that you're having. Um, when I do work with people, I always say um, animal produce should should be something around about like 80% of your nutrition, then 10% of the the yeah. plant foods and, and the fruits and, and the vegetables. And then the other 10% um, will will just put to air quotes over that and put lifestyle over that one because everybody's got that other 10%. But I'm presuming that's something maybe similar that, that you do in your practice. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not something that people necessarily expect right away. I think when people go into coaching programs or health programs, you know, nowadays, they just assume that it's going to be this sacrifice, sacrificial kind of experience, right? Where they're going to go in, they're going to have to give up everything that they like, and they're going to just be eating these flavorless salads, and they'll have to worry about what salad dressing they're going to be using every day. You know, when in reality, you know, most of the time I sit down with people, and these are people that know nothing about a carnivore diet or know nothing about a keto diet or anything like that. And they think to themselves, I love meat. You know, and they'll, t they'll tell me that they'll be like, I love eating meat. You know, I hear that so much and it, we've just, you know, gotten so far away in culture the past couple of decades away from eating meat and giving ourselves permission to do that because the guidelines have been that way um, that a lot of people just restrain themselves from foods that are extremely nutritious for you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've lost count of the amount of times where you, you start working with somebody and say, but you're telling me I can have eggs and bacon? <laughs> say, yeah, of course you can have eggs and bacon. They say, oh yeah, but I thought I was avoiding them foods because of the fact that I thought, you know, maybe they was potentially unhealthy because eggs have a bad press every now and then and, and the good one day and bad the next day. And when you really break it down, like we said earlier, into bioavailability, eggs are one of the most bioavailable sources of, of lots of vitamins and minerals, nearly all of them that you can get. Let's face it, an egg is to start off life. So it's got a lot of things in there that your body can really need and really use. 
And so let's go back to, to yourself a little bit when you said that you have, end, towards the end of your journey, you're sort of more carnivore now, but you don't maybe have so many plants and, and, and fruits and vegetables in there. So do you concentrate on making sure you don't have any carbohydrates now in your nutrition? Or do you just think, well, I'll focus on my animal foods and if they sneak in there a little bit, that's okay. I found that I do really well. And, you know, I think there's, you know, there's something called metabolic flexibility, right? It's this idea that once you go lower carbohydrate, especially once you start going keto, um, you start building in this metabolic machinery that allows you to use fat for fuel or to use ketones for fuel. Um, so you can be a lot more adaptable to, you know, let's say you do go out and you have a cup of white rice. It's not going to affect you in the same way that it might before. Um, so I find that, you know, now I, I eat a metabolically flexible diet. So a lot of the times I'm very low carbohydrate and kind of in ketosis, but sometimes I'll have some potatoes or I'll have a little white rice if I'm eating out uh, and it doesn't really affect me very much. Um, I've really been able to be con so conscious of what I'm eating and so understanding of what comes into my body um, that I that I understand, okay, if I'm going to, um, you know, have a sauce, right? Italians love sauce. I found that tomato puree doesn't really have any anti-nutrients in it, right? So that's something that I can enjoy. It'll make me, you know, it'll satisfy the Italian part of me. And I can add that to a little bit of the meat that I'm eating. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and I'm pleased you brought up metabolic flexibility because I do work sometimes with athletes and that's always the point at what I'm trying to get to with athletes is metabolic flexibility because you need to be able to pull on all sorts of different kinds of energy sources when you are doing whatever you're doing, whether you're doing endurance uh, exercise or whether you're doing weight training, strength training, whatever you're doing, you need to be metabolically flexible. So that doesn't mean that you always have to be a carnivore or you always have to be pumping in all the carbohydrates into you. It means you have to be, let's say, a bit of both. You have to have yeah. all those animal produce in there to make sure that you're supporting a strong body. But you also do potentially need those real food carbohydrates to supplement your exercise or, or your strength mm -hmm. work, whatever you're trying to do. I don't know if you work with it with any athletes, because sometimes people say, well, it's a little, it can, it can be a little bit of a gray area because you're telling people to have carbohydrates and then you're telling people to make sure that you take out carbohydrates out of the nutrition. So yeah. just to, just to clear, clear the air a little bit there, what I want to say is when I tell people to have carbohydrates, I always make sure the real food carbohydrates. So they're things yes. like berries or raw honey or sweet potatoes, uh, maybe a little bit of white rice, like you mentioned there. It's always that real food carbohydrates. We want to get people off processed food. Lots of athletes, mm -hmm. and, and it is big within the athlete uh, se sector, is that they have these gels and bars and chews. And, and even now it's creeping into keto where they're in the keto world, they're making all this processed food and, and calling it keto. And it's kind yeah. of like we're getting lost a little bit in there because it's still going to be processed food. Yeah, they, they sell these keto bars uh, at the grocery store and they've got everything imaginable in them, <laughs> chemical wise, you know, the polydextrose, I mean, you name it, it's in this bar. And I think that's really the important part. If we could just get people to eat, you know, fruits, vegetables, meats, seafood, even nuts and seeds, we could probably take care of a lot of the issues <laughs> just there. 
Um, and it doesn't have to feel like a diet either. I, I think a lot of the people, you know, that come to me feel like they're going to be sacrificing part of themselves if they, you know, kind of give up these foods. And what they start to realize is once they get three, kind of four weeks into it and things get rolling, they start to go, oh, not only do I feel better and I'm less hungry, my energy's better, that when they do kind of slip up, and I'm a big fan of slipping up. I think it's a great <laughs> great thing if you quote unquote cheat um, because it allows you to be like okay how am I feeling right now is this you know messing up my gut is it making my energy low you know and then you can go from there and you can see uh, you know how different foods affect you I think that's an absolutely brilliant thing to say and uh, I've never really um, said it on the podcast before so it's great to say that it's good to slip up and I, I never thought I'd say that but I, yeah, yeah. It just reminded me of a time when uh, my wife first started on going a bit lower carb and she went out with her friends and had an afternoon tea with lots of cake. And then, and then she come and she said to me, Oh my God, I feel rubbish. I feel terrible. That has really hit me like a ton of bricks. And that is yeah. something really, really good for people to experience people to go through because then they actually start to realize that one, they can sense what's going on with their own body because I'm a big believer of you must be able to tell what's going on with your own body. And two, you now know what those foods can do to, to you, you know, the sugars, you know, the feeling of having too much sugar, you know, how much of a, a feeling it is to do that roller coaster effect of being really, really high on sugar one moment and then so, so down the other side. And it, it's great. Like you said, I never thought I'd say, let's have a slip up, but, but it does make you, you basically a light bulb yeah. moment. It, it puts a light bulb moment on in your head and people, you know, that, that'd be really good for people if, if they're thinking, that they need to be really strict 100% of the time. You don't. <laughs> yeah, you, you really don't. And if anything, I think it helps people stick to things longer when they kind of accept the fact that, look, I'm going to slip up and it's going to be, it's going to be fine. I think for too long, you know, the, the diet industry or, you know, kind of the diet mentality has said to us, you must stay so strictly to this one thing. And if you slip up, then it's all over, right? Like you might as well just go back to what you were doing and give up. And, you know, I hear people go to such extremes with wellness all the time. I was on a call just the other day and I had a girl tell me, she was like, you know, I have this feeling that if I'm not in the gym for three hours a day, then I might as well not do it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, all you need is to do is walk for 20 minutes a day, you know, really and lift some weights, you know, here and there. And that's probably all that you're going to need. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, it does get carried away when people start thinking that they need to do more and more and they need to add on and add on and add on. And you just need to give yourself a moment. Just say, well, no, hang on. You know, where am I now? Yeah. Where am I in the present? Because all the time you're finding out things new and you're finding this new and that new. And what should I take out? and What should I put in rather than just thinking, where am I now and what's going on now? And that's a great thing to say. I wanted to bring up um fasting with you because fasting especially intermittent fasting has become a big thing of on the internet you must be doing intermittent fasting you've got to do it for all these benefits this has to be done for 24 hours then you've got to push it out to three to five days um what are your thoughts on fasting and and are you an advocate of fasting or do you just take it as it comes i am a cautious advocate of fasting <laughs> i will put it that way i don't think 
people who are, a lot of people who are fasting need to necessarily be fasting um, or need to be fasting as much as they are. I think it should be something that should come naturally and it should be easy. You know, once you start getting into that fat adapted and keto adapted state, you know, I just tell people, well, if you're not hungry in the morning, you don't have to eat. And, and usually you won't, once you, you kind of have that hunger subside, it gets much easier to intermittent fast. And, and it doesn't have to be all the time. It could be, you know, once a week or just once uh, in a while, if you'd like to. I think when anything becomes a trend, like keto, um, you start having people that get into it for uh bad reasons. You know, they want to lose a hundred pounds in three months or, or something like that. So they take it to extremes. And then what I end up seeing is people who are tanking their thyroids, who are screwing their bodies up by doing all of these extended fasts. I talked to a girl last year. This was before I was you know, officially coaching anybody, but, you know, I was, I was kind of working with her uh, and she was doing these long extended fasts. Uh, I think she might have been one meal a day at the time. Uh, and it, it turned out that she was fasting so much. She sent herself uh, into hypothyroidism and she had to go to a functional doctor and, you know, start eating more food. You know, so you get a lot of people who kind of come into this community who are already restrictors, you know, they're already calorie counters and they just want to go as little as they can to maximize their results. That's right. Yeah. I mean, one meal a day is very restrictive and we always talk about the animal produce and the nutrient density and the protein that it brings you. But if you're only having one meal a day, then you've got to have something huge to be able to get all of your daily requirements in there. Especially like I say, when I work with athletes, fasting just, just shortens the window at when you can, could be potentially getting all that nutrition into you. So think about it mm -hmm. like that, you know, think about mm -hmm. you now, if, if you're not training, if you're not doing anything in the day and you feel satiated enough to have one meal a day, then fine. I'm a bit like you, a cautious advocate of yeah. it because the same as keto and paleo and, and even carnivore and uh, intermittent fasting, they're all great tools for your toolbox. That's what I always say. I think, well, fine, if you, if you want to double in there, and, and they can be used as, as resets to bring somebody from one way of eating to another way of eating, but they're not a lifestyle thing. I think, I think, yeah. I think you could pick and choose from all of them. If you were to sit in a room and uh, dial out your week, you could have one day carnivore, one day keto, one day paleo, one day intermittent fasting, you know, use all those tools in your toolbox and chuck them all into yeah. your nutrition. That's, that's the way I try and practice. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tell people, you know, when I'm on calls with them, you know, especially, you know, the first call is that my goal is for you to leave my care, leave my program and not think about what you do as a diet, as a, as a trendy thing. I want you to just be able to understand your body well enough that you can make better choices. And, you know, I, I tell people like, I, I think sometimes, especially in diet communities, we can become kind of such weirdos that we start isolating ourselves from everybody else. Like we, we won't eat out or we won't go to a bar. And, you know, for a majority of the people that come to me, like, you know, if they're on a carnivore diet or whatever, like a lot of the times they want to eat sweet potato again, you know, or they want to be able to go to a restaurant and you, you want to be able to participate in daily life. So I try to emphasize 
you know, less on making your identity intermittent fasting or keto or carnivore and more like, how am I going to integrate this into a life where it's not even that much of a thought for me? Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, often a lot of the time I get beginners, but sometimes I get people who just want to have another reset or another change from whatever they're doing. Say they've done carnivore for three to four years and they think, okay, like you said, they want to introduce something new into them. But as a complete beginner, somebody who's starting off, would you recommend to them, right, let's go in, let's jump in all exams first, let's get right into there. Or would you say, look, let's just make, I think it's somebody's often termed it, 1% change tomorrow and then 1% change the next day. And then again, and eventually, before you know it, a few weeks down the line, you've had a 20% change without even knowing it. Yeah. You know, I think there are some of us in the nutrition space, you know, especially those of us who become health coaches or nutritionists or, you know, whatever, who are very good at doing everything at once. You know, we're very good at going carnivore and staying carnivore for three years. Uh, But I don't think that's the majority of people. And so for me, you know, I, I have worked with somebody who went straight up carnivore and, you know, he, he did fine for the couple of weeks. He didn't really have a temptation to do anything else. But for most people, I think it's a really good idea to take it slow and just do one thing at a time. You know, if I start working with somebody and they're eating a standard American diet, it could be a lot just to give up grains, you know? So, it, you know, I would prefer all of my clients to stop eating grains while I'm working with them. But, you know, if somebody needs a few extra weeks to do that, then that's totally plausible to me. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's the case. I think if you're a beginner listening to this, then just change that one thing tomorrow. Like you say, take, take out the grains or take out the processed food. And the processed food is a big one. I know we always go on about it, but it is really big because they have all sorts of chemicals in them now, including different types of names for seed oils that seem to be infiltrating everything now they're even coming into the keto world as vegetable oils you know masking the fact of what they really are so do you know much about these seed oils and what they do and, and why they cause such a problem within our body well the seed oils are mostly poofas right they're polyunsaturated fats um And it throws our omega-3, omega-6 balance completely out of whack. Uh, A lot of these oils, you know, especially I think canola oil, for example, um, that is not found in nature. That is a highly processed chemical washed substance uh, that we are routinely putting in our bodies. Um, Whereas ancestrally, you know, we might've used the fat from a coconut you know, something like a coconut oil uh, or butter from a cow or animal fat. Um, So we've kind of just flipped everything on its head and the nutrition guidelines have said, oh, we need all of these polyunsaturated fats. So we've made all of these chemically, you know, processed seed oils and filled them in our food. Yeah. And like you said there, it's a chemical. And when you say to somebody chemical process, they instantly think, oh, I'm not eating that. But then, but then if you say seed oils, it's like, oh yeah, okay. So yeah. you've got to yeah. really get around it. It's kind of a mindset sort of thing. You got to think when it says seed oils, where it says rapeseed oil, canola oil, or any other type of oil, apart from, like you said, the fruit-based ones, olive oil, coconut oil, they're the ones that if you add a bunch of olives, you would be able to make oil. If you add a coconut, you would mm-hmm. be able to make coconut oil. And the fats from animals, they're just the fats anyway. But if you add, let's say you add a, a whole crop of rapeseed, uh, you call it over in America, canola oil, we get it from rapeseed. If you add that, how are you going to make oil? 
You wouldn't and what be a able name. to do it. What a name, rapeseed oil. It just sounds disgusting. <laughs> when you, you know, when you see it on the label. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. But you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to extract any oil from there without a big industrial chemical process going on. So when you say stop putting chemicals in your body, that's what we mean. Stop putting all these seed oils and all this processed food in your body because a lot of them are chemicals. Stick to the mm -hmm. real food, you know, all the things that your grandparents would recognize. I know going back into my yes. grandparents' time, she used to make all sorts of different kind of bone broths and, and things out of the, the fats of the animals, the suet and the lard and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, I found out recently my grandfather used to eat frog legs, you know, just like <laughs> straight out of the jar. I was like, what? Like you would never see that, you know, these days, but that kind of thing was so much more common then. And, you know, even in Italy, you know, especially traditionally, you know, eating, your, you know, a whole dish of pasta with like a little bit of meat on top is not consistent, you know, and not something that they did for a really long time. So we just kind of have flipped everything on its head. We've decided that, you know, we have all of these epidemiology studies um, that show correlation and not causation. And we've decided to make that the entirety of our nutrition guidelines. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I guess that's why you need people like us to dig a bit deeper and into the randomized control studies instead of the epidemiological ones and uh, find out the real science. And it sounds like you do much of the same practice as I do. And we share a lot of the same philosophies and it's really, really good to, to hear. Are you, have you managed to get on board the, your family then with them being Italian-American? I can imagine carbohydrates is still a big thing within your family. Have you managed to drag them with you? Well, my mother, it's mostly yeah. me and my mother. My, my brother um, is, you know, he still eats kind of like a standard American, you know, most of the time, but he eats a lot with us. So, you know, he's kind of um, really started to understand the different effects. You know, he saw my mother's vision, you know, start to get better. He saw me start to improve. And I think for him, um, you know, he's learned a lot from that. When it comes to our extended family, um, they, I, I don't think that they care or they, they don't want to change. So I remember I brought a mackerel dish. This is when I was paleo. I brought a mackerel dish and it was basically just onion, tomato puree and mackerel, like two cans of mackerel fish. And uh, it, it, great recipe. And I, my, uh, my aunt takes some, you know, we're sitting down and she goes, Chris, you know, this is really good, but where's the pasta? <laughs> you know? Everything has to have a carb and that's just how they've been, you know, their entire lives. And so it's, they don't really want to hear it. Um, they don't really ask about it. We don't really talk about it. Um, you know, unless, unless something's going on with them and I can kind of interject and be like, well, maybe have you tried this? And, and see if that I ask because sometimes when I work with people, they often say, well, how do I get my family on board? You know, how do I get everybody else in the house to, to come with me? Because now we're making two or three meals a night, you know, instead of just the one that we can all eat. And I, I guess my answer to them more often than not is just to keep leading by example. And it's it's all we can do is just lead by example. And if you're making, like you say, under your own roof, if you're making the cooking, if you're making the home cooking, 
um, then try and just put everything in it that everybody will like. Like you said, the, the fish, you know, oh, oh, did I forget the pasta? Oh, sorry about that. Maybe I'll, I'll bring it next time. No, you won't. But do you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> try and get everybody involved. You can. I'll do the cooking, put your hand up, you do the cooking, then you know what's going, going into it. And I guess, yeah, like I say, it's just leading by example. It's all we can do. Yeah, I've had a client who, um, you know, he he had decided to, you know, make these health changes and his husband and his daughter uh, didn't, right? I mean, his daughter was very, very young, so she wasn't really at the, you know, prime age to be changing her diet. And, you know, within, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, the husband was still eating you know, what he was eating, but the daughter had totally changed. I mean, she, she wanted to eat the sausage patties. I mean, she's going ham on the meat just because she was observing that from uh, her parents and kids are very, you know, observant. They'll, they'll watch what you eat and they want to do what you want to do. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell me I've got a two-year-old, so <laughs> he's watching everything and he wants everything. And, and it's great to get him involved in the kitchen as well, because he likes to mix and, and stir things up and add in little tips and tricks like that. So if you have got kids, I mean, whatever age, just get them involved, get them involved with the, with the cooking and get them involved with eating what you are eating. Just try your best, because at the end of the day, we all know that it's healthier for us. So it's going to be healthier for our family as well. Uh, really thank you for joining me today Chris don't want to take up too much more of your time but you've got a really great Instagram that I want you to tell everybody where they can find you follow along with you and any other things that you want your know, website anything like that tell people where they can find you yeah so my Instagram handle is at proudly primal um, you can also find me at www.proudlyprimal.com um, there you'll find my coaching programs you can book a call with me and we can talk about if we're a good fit to work together um, I have some new programs that are going to be coming up um, and you can always send me a DM you know if you're interested in more information that's brilliant. So if you're in America, in the New York area, then go find Chris. If you're in the UK, come and find me. So <laughs> thank, you <for> <laughs> thank you for talking today, Chris. That's been great. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. It was great to chat with Chris. Even though he's across the pond, it's brilliant to know that he shares the same thoughts and he produces much of the same practice that I do here in the UK. So Chris says... If you want to check him out, then go to his website. Our website is www.humannutritionlifestyle.com and all the social media links are on there if you want to follow us on social media or if you want to be in touch, then just fire across an email with your questions. Also, we have the services in the shop for any particular consultation you would like to have just to chat or if you want your own nutrition plan designing, then we can do that for you. But just as we say in the podcast, make those little changes, those 1% changes every single day. And then before you know it, you'll be living a much more optimal, nutrient-dense lifestyle and nutrition. And it re really will benefit you. So go for it. If you're enjoying these podcasts, then show us your support by leaving a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really, really does help. And it sends it out to lots of people who are looking for podcasts and looking to help their own nutrition and their own lifestyle. Until next time, be happy, be strong and thrive. Mm -hmm.